0: every team, every topic, everywhere this is believe.
1: Hello, this is the Lunchmore podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network, and each episode we'll be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. After the success of the episode we did on Ned's the Classified School Survival Guide with Lindsay Shaw, just a quick plug, check that episode out. It was awesome. We are yet again covering another classic TV show this week with Legends of the Hidden Temple. I can't speak for my listeners, but I loved this show growing up. As a young kid watching You don't even realize that these are just sets being built as part of a production. It seemed like this was like an actual place that you could go visit and do the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. I was like, oh my God, I want to be on this show. Unfortunately, and I lived not too far from Orlando as a kid, a roughly three-hour drive, and I never made it on the show. I was so disappointed, never got the chance. I think we were always doing the Disney route, never did the Universal route. So uh, it really crushed me as a kid. I remember they used to show what the Nick studios look like in Orlando Universal after the end of each episode with the slime machine outside. It was just sick. I really wanted to check it out for myself, but again, I never did. I saw a photo of what it looks like recently, and it just looks like some office building on the side of a highway, which definitely kind of made me sad. But anyways, back to Legends of the Hidden Temple. It ran for three seasons, 120 episodes total on Nickelodeon from 1993 to 1995, and was hosted by Kirk Fogg, who will be joining us shortly, and featured a large temple named Olmec, voiced by D. Bradley Baker. It was a competition between six teams, and these six teams are really legendary. You got the Red Jaguars, the Blue Barracudas, my favorite, the Green Monkeys, the Orange Iguanas, the Purple Parrots, and the Silver Snakes. The team that made it past the mode, past the steps of knowledge, past the temple game, finally got their chance to complete the elusive temple run to win some incredible prize. It was usually some long vacation. Only about like 25% of the teams ended up completing the temple run, that just shows how challenging it was. In 2016, Nickelodeon made a Legends of the Hidden Temple live action movie, which just shows that they really did a poor job marketing this because I had no idea this even existed. And last year, Quibi announced that they're going to bring back Legends of the Hidden Temple. And just this past March, they were casting for teams, but instead of kids, they're looking for adults. So I think they're looking for people, you know, in their 20s and 30s who watched it as a kid and now want to relive those days. But given the current state of Quibi, I think they lost like 90% of their subscribers after their trial run ended. I don't know how good this is gonna look, you know, for a potential series, if is even gonna be in existence in a few months. So hopefully it lands somewhere else if it doesn't go ahead at Quibi. So enough of me talking. Let's get into my interview with the host of Legends of the Hidden Temple, Kirk Fogg. And let's get in that 93 mood with the intro to Legends of the Hidden Temple. <laughs>
0: Hidden Temple, with your guy, Kirk Fog, and here he is now.
1: We are now joined by the host of Legends of the Hidden Temple, Kirk Fogg Kirk, thank you so much for joining the Relunchables podcast. Thank you. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, Omek. I'm one of the hosts. When yes. place me. Never. They never replaced me. You are the only host. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was born in 1992, so I was a little too young to watch Legends of the Hidden Temple during its first airing. I probably caught it, I think, on, like, Nick Gas, which was, like, Nick Game and Sports around, like, 99. I think I watched it, and me and my sister just loved it. Even a few years ago, me and a good friend of mine dressed up as members of the Green Monkeys for a Halloween costume. We had the cargo shorts, the swim shoes. We had the yellow helmets. We literally, like, went all out on the costume.
0: Did you, uh, did you, was that posted on the internet? Perhaps. I don't know. I saw some people doing, uh, doing some uh, th- th- Halloween. A lot of people did a Halloween costumes like that, dressing
1: up as Mia, the host, and then the game show. Yeah. So I have to ask you I believe you grew up in LA, but when did you know growing up that you wanted to work in show business?
0: <laughs> I can bring out my autobiography <laughs> that I wrote when I was in kindergarten <laughs> or maybe it's first grade because i don't think i could write in kindergarten so in first grade i uh, wrote a uh, autobiography and it says when i grow up i want to be a movie star
1: oh wow <laughs> <laughs> or a game show host. or a game show host whatever <laughs> were yeah. there anyone you were watching on tv at that time like what inspired you obviously you're in los angeles the perfect place to be
0: well i'm you know i hate to say it because i this is what I hate about my career has been. I've always played a lot younger than I am. <laughs> so, so whenever I'd go on auditions, I could never reference my growing up because people go, what? You wait. If you're that, how old are you? You're not you're old for this. So I always had to like throw out three quarters of my whole life when I was talking in interviews and stuff like that. But um you know, I just watched television. I was a television junkie growing up. I watched, and I watched really all the old uh, reruns from the 50s and 60s. You know, I was big father knows best, Rifleman, um, you, uh, Gomer Pyle, USMC, Andy Griffith. Um, and then I watched, you know, all the way up into like, you know, this late 70s. I just watched TV over. I mean... I got a Nielsen ratings book that was sent <laughs> to our house. Never happened again, only one time. And I was the one who was in completely in charge of it. And I filled out the whole thing. So I'm probably responsible for half of the programming that lasted oh the next God. 20 years.
1: <laughs> this was before they could track you, right? With like a TV monitor on your, uh, on your TV, right? It, exactly. It was just like some nine-year-old kid. <laughs> and anybody trying to touch it too, I remember going, no, no, don't you touch this. I'm on track, you know, I had to do it for a whole week, like, (laughs) all my shows. So was the goal at that time to be an actor or a writer, let alone a game show host? No, I was, uh, you know, I really wanted to be an actor growing
0: up, but then I never really had, I was living in the sticks. So I really didn't have a chance to do any acting or anything like that, I liked it. Um, I put on a show every night at my dinner table, but (laughs) uh, other than that, I was just, uh, I played sports. So I did a lot of baseball and football and, and stuff like that. And, and that's what really was my performance stuff. And which was a great thing to be involved in because I mean, you know, you learn how to bust your butt and be on a team and all that kind of stuff. So it was a great, great growing up, but it wasn't until I got out of uh, high school that, and I went to college and I, st- and even in college, I started to do it. I got into radio, TV and film and, and then I I, I had an interview on a going out of my, I was at the JC at the time, but I was transferring to a four-year, and this guy was a DJ from the lo- local Orange County um, radio station, and he totally lectured me on that I shouldn't do radio, TV, and film, that I should do something practical. And I totally took his advice, and I got into public relations, which was horrifyingly boring. <laughs> and not only that, you had to be a good writer, which I was neither. So I, I, I struggled through finishing college, which I did, but I finally had a breakthrough. I went around the United States with my fraternity brothers and I was in, driving from Pittsburgh to New Orleans when I finally, because I caught a cold, I was, I was hungover, caught a cold, and had sprained my ankle in Pittsburgh. And so I was just quiet sitting in the car and I finally came to me and said, you know what? I am not happy doing what I'm doing. I want to act. I said, that's what I want to do. And I had done a little bit in college as a non-major and I decided I'm going to go ahead and extend my graduation one more year and get into the theater department. And I got heavy duty into the theater department and it so was the right thing. And I got cast in all these plays and it was amazing, and so when I came out of uh, college, I was sort of somewhat trained a little yeah. bit, and uh, that's how it sort of launched me into my career.
1: No, that's incredible. I feel like a lot of actors have stories like that, where they got some advice from some professor, and they ignored it, and ended up pursuing their passion, and that's what ultimately led them down that road. That's so great to hear. So how did Legends of the Hidden Temple come to be? Um, so,
0: you know, so well, it took a long time because yeah. I actually, I went, I actually had to go, I tried to go to LA first and from, I, I was at Cal State Fullerton. That's where I, I graduated from. And actually my fraternity brother at Cal State Fullerton, he had been, he had already been through it, but he was one of our alumni. It was Kevin Cosner. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, Kevin Cosner actually did my initiation at Fullerton. And so that was great. Did he play baseball there too? No, he did not play baseball. No. Okay. No, he just was totally into baseball, but he didn't play baseball. I mean, you had to be super good to play on Fullerton. I mean, that's a top-notch school. But so after after uh, Fullerton, I tried to go to L.A., and I swear to God, the door was closed, man. I could not – I couldn't even get a waiter job. That's how, <laughs> that's how L.A. did not want me. It was like, no, you are not allowed to come to L.A. So I went back to Orange County, worked um, – got a job at TGI Fridays and I became one of those Tom Cruise bartenders where I <laughs> throw the bottles in the air and, yeah. <laughs> and it was the greatest job I ever had it was one of the hardest jobs and from there I got, um, uh, I got um, asked to go to Paris to open up a bar in Paris oh wow Two other buddies and so that's what took me out of LA went to Paris was there for a year, bartended, had an amazing, amazing experience. And then instead of going back to LA when it was over, I said, you know what? It's time to start my career. I went, I flew to New York Hmm. and I started my career in New York. And so I studied there and um, busted my butt and uh, finally started getting some work, got commercials and things like that. And then um, I tried to go back to LA. So I went to LA, (laughs) doors were open. It was the, the, the All the gates were open. Every, all the doors were open. I went. I got to go to the temple, and uh, booked all the time. And I was in the middle of a good run. I was, I was writing for. um, I had written a movie, and I got, uh, I got a writing fellowship at Amblin Entertainment for this one. Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah, for Spielberg. I got to work on the lot for a year. So I did that. I was doing a lot of commercials, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get a phone call to audition for Legends of the Hidden Temple. Hmm. I had no idea what it was. It was auditioning on the Universal lot. I went over there, it was right there where I was anyway. And uh, they had me do the play-by-play part of the temple. That's <laughs> all I knew about the game show. Didn't know anything, how it worked, nothing. They just said, here's what a temple run's going to be. And I'm like, okay, well, sounds like me and my brother playing around with as uh, announcers for a football <laughs> game. Yeah. You know, is that he's at the thirty, going to the thirty five, the forty, he's gonna make it all the way if he can go through this he's gonna one tackle, touchdown, and so I was Doing like, Doing your yeah, best
1: job at an impression, right? I totally did it. And they go,
0: Oh, okay. And I said, Well, wow, they're kind of excited, and then next day they booked me.
1: Oh my god, that is incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then like three weeks later I'm flown to Orlando.
1: And then, and then the horror and then the horror began. <laughs> What was that transition like, moving to Orlando on something you really had no familiarity with? It was re- the horror began. It was really it was, a, it was a nightmare because this was a
0: really difficult show. It was so multifaceted. They had never done a pilot for it, so they were really trying to figure out how to put it on on its feet. And so I was just a piece of the puzzle, and they really didn't spend much time with me. And I didn't know how to host a show, albeit a three camera live audience. Huge, you know, huge um, uh, logistics. Yeah, first of all, they had never done the show. So they had never done a pilot for the show. So they were um, they were trying to figure out the whole logistics and they had to write the show. And the show was really well written. But it was like they had to figure out all the legends. They had to figure out how the temple was going to run. They had to figure out how the moat was going to work. They had to figure out how the question and answer was going to happen. And then they had me and they just like kept saying oh well we got you thanks and i'm like yeah but but i've never hosted a show so like how do you do that you know and, and they just kept ignoring that yeah. until they, they put it up on its feet and i had to come in there with the three cameras a live audience um huge you know crew casting crew and in the first season they were throwing me a, a lot of the work they were having me do all the the uh, legend and everything they were having me do it all and then having to introduce the game and then doing the game the actual uh commentating of the game and then doing the wrap-up to the game and then throwing it to the next le- you know thing it was like it was really super super difficult and i really was very very insecure doing it but i, I you know we, i muddled through it and uh, they were very helpful with um they gave me when we were practicing, they gave me a bunch of tapes of this guy JD Roth, who they had been working with for years um, on the game shows. And they said, "Look at his tapes, and this is how he does his show." And I go, oh, "Okay." So I just sat in my res- my Marriott residence in hotel Orlando and watched <laughs> video after video, and kind of got you know, and and looked at it as sort of like an acting assignment. You know, okay, how do I how do I become this character?
1: Yeah. How much rehearsal time did you have before you, you know, I, shot the first you know, episode? It's been a
0: long time. I don't remember any rehearsal time. I just remember it because they were just trying to get up on its feet. So there was never really any time to rehearse. You know, it was just sort of like, okay, I think we've got it all working. And of course, you know, it would it was like a like a bad amusement park ride. It kept breaking down at different times. So we'd always <laughs> have to stop and start. And then I would break down and I'd have to stop and start. Uh, but i just remember the first episode we did felt like it, i think it was about it was about 16 hours to get one episode in like 10 o'clock at night we finally did
1: the temple run you know for kids oh my god and for actors, you're used to, you know, memorizing lines and going out and performing them. How was this when you're actually kind of have to be improv like a sports broadcaster and just kind of diagramming what you're seeing, what the kids are doing as they're running through the temple? How much of that was just you thinking it on was your feet? all thinking on my feet, which I was not great at, at that part. I was good at improvising, like
0: in, in auditions and things like that. I could really say funny things or quippy things. But when you're trying to actually get to a place... In a game show, it's really hard to think and walk on at the same time, or talk and walk and think at the same time. So I was really lost. Um, it was that first season was really not fun for me. It was just so, so difficult. Hmm. And the next season we changed a lot of things. They got a they brought a new director in and um and then I asked them, Hey, could I have please have an assistant? Who would be with me at my side to tell me and make sure that I remember all these things that were coming up or just happened. You gotta remember, we were shooting five shows at the same time. So we do all the the moat crossings, then we do all the steps of knowledge. And then I needed somebody to sort of say, hey, remember in this one, she, you know, came from behind and won. I go, Oh, that's a really good thing to remember, you know. And I can say, Oh my God, she's come from behind the whole game, you know, so I would be able to have some sort of continuity. And and then also (laughs) little simple things like putting the score out in front of me, like how many (laughs) balls did they retrieve out of the pit as opposed to the other team instead of me having to try to figure out what that was. So it was a second season was a complete um, (laughs) it was a complete dream. You know, we brought a great director in who's actually did a lot of the Academy Awards later on. He was very, very good, very hip MTV ish. And he um, brought a new sort
1: of new fresh angle. But everybody seems to like the first season too. So, yeah, you would never know it from as a viewer. You're like it. It seems seamless. Even though, as you mentioned, like I don't know how you would keep track of all those different teams. The continuity errors would you would think would be sky high in terms of I don't know which group was this in, what group that person was in. You know how far they've progressed right. versus this other team. Right. Exactly. Could've so been a you know we did some pretty simple things, and it was not
0: fun. And you know I don't think they. I think they were frustrated with me too, because I'd have to stop. And they hated when I had to stop them because they'd have to stop all the cameras and they would tell me, just keep going through. And I'm like, I can't I don't work that way. I said, I can't find my way back out of this, you know, maze of thought. And uh, and they just get so
1: frustrated. But I'm like, whatever, you know. I always wondered why the kids were so dry, you know, after the moat you get to the steps of knowledge, it'd be like, wait, 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 these kids should be drenched. exactly no it's like four hours later we're doing (laughs) yes exactly as a kid I always wondered I heard about this you know legendary green room or waiting room that the kids would be in you know while the other kids were competing you know while all these different episodes were being filmed what do you remember about that green room or waiting room I just imagine you know board games and candy and pizza Did you ever get to you know check it out with what that was like well I think probably, it's probably good to know that I never knew where that room was.
0: So I had no business being in that room. So, you know, so I don't, I couldn't even tell you where that room was. I never went. They just came through the doors and they just bring them out onto the stage. And that's when I saw them. Sometimes they'd have some pizza stains on them. So I knew they'd <laughs> been eating, but that'd be double. <laughs> yeah. And then I did know them. I'd have to get to know them really quick. And in the first season, I don't know if we did it. I can't remember if we did it the second or third but I did a lot of interviewing. So again, I would get to talk to them before and I would write down on my little cards, little stuff about, you know, they like to, I just remember this one. They like to, um, she likes to uh, collect glass
1: figurines. I remember that one. (laughs) It's amazing what you can remember 20 years later, you know, what sticks with you. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Did you have any input in building the sets at all with the producers? Because they were so intricate. Like as a kid, they were just like the coolest thing: the pit of despair, the, the shrine of the silver monkey. It was it seemed it seemed like it was every kid's dream to experience that. Did you have any input in building those sets? None. Absolutely none.
0: No, I had. They had an amazing crew that worked day and night building those things in so many different big um, construction areas around the you know around the um, lot. And um, all I would do. Is I would go because I had a lot of time on my hands when I was there beforehand. They gave me a script, which I had no idea what I meant. And uh, and then I would walk around and look at all of the uh, construction that was going on and meet the guys who were building the sets who ultimately became the temple guards. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah.
0: Or they were the guys that were helping people, like the, you know, they looked like everybody looked like, um, what's the guy who died in the, with the stingray? What was his name?
1: Oh, Steve Irwin. Yeah, everybody
0: looked like Steve Irwin in those costumes, you know. They, they would help the kids and stuff like that. And uh, they would eventually put on, the, the lucky few got to put on the, um, <laughs> the uh, Temple Guard uniform. Even some of the producers had
1: to <laughs> <laughs> It was always my favorite part of the show when the kids would cry when they ran into the Temple Guards. Was it tough to hold back your laughter during some of those moments or did you actually just feel for the kids?
0: Well, again, I was having to call a play-by-play, so it was pretty much just a play-by-play thing. It's like, oh, oh, that really upset her. I don't know. It's like, oh, there she goes. I hope she's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, something like that. But they would scream, like, at the top of their lungs, some of them. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. The, you don't understand, you are – because I used to run through the temple every time before the, season, before the season's over. I said, you know, let me put the time on the clock and let me see if I can get through this temple. Now, I didn't have a lot of the obstacles and stuff, but I would still see how I could make my. I wanted to get in and out. I wanted to go through the entire temple under three minutes. And I did, I always got, it, I got through it. But you are so tired in the middle of that thing. You are so gassed. You know what it is when you f- taste the blood, right? You know, when you, yeah. you, you're running and you just can't go. That's what it's like. So now think of yourself completely engrossed in what you're doing and you're having to put things together and do stuff. And then something out of nowhere comes this temple guard popping up out of something it will freak you out that totally
1: yeah it always looks so easy as a kid watching on tv but until you're there with the cameras on you know you've never experienced it yourself and you really can't put you know how long it would take you to do something and i think we have some stats that only 26 percent of the teams on the show were able to actually complete the temple run and we have a question it's actually a fan question from uh, gracie in denver colorado and she asked why did the kids always struggle with the shrine of the silver monkey? It seemed like the easiest thing to put together, only three pieces. Yeah, three silver pieces, <laughs> right? <laughs> three, so the only thing you
0: could kind of make sense of was the head, because it had the stick on it. So you yeah. knew that was gonna go on top. But the two, the other two, the first two, pretty much, again, you're completely gasped. you're about halfway through the temple, and you see two things and suddenly you don't know if they go upside down or what and people are screaming at you and you know there's only so much time and you're trying to do it you know some people were better at that than others
1: true and i was like if you even watch the show they have it almost every episode like you could have just watched and see how the other kids do it in you know previous seasons but uh you know it always amazed me how long it took the kids to figure that out yeah one of our producers has that that original oh really yeah he does i found out that he does.
0: Oh, I know. I'd like to have that. Yeah, yeah, you should have that. I know. But, you know, they canceled the show before we went back. So you, when you finish your, your season, you don't know if you're going to be canceled the next year. Before you could take
1: everything before leaving, right? Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yes. exactly.
1: <Cool. laughs> so I'm curious about the studio audience. Were they there in increments? Because I imagine they're not sitting there for 16 hours.
0: Uh, no, they were. It's great. It's like a ride in a, an amusement park. You could go in. And then they would stand in line, and then they would get to go in. Like maybe 150 people come in, sit down, stay for about 15, 20 minutes, get up and move off, and another <laughs> group would come in and sit down. It was pretty genius, right? Pretty. pretty that is that is gold. Yeah, yeah. So that way you, nobody gets too bored, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the first season, the first season, they're looking like, what is this game show? The second season, they all kind of know what it is. In the third season, they're all totally into it. But the first season, everybody, all of us, including the audience, looked going
1: like, what are we doing? <laughs> Making history. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine you might have to get like extras to sit down there and pretend like they're fans or, you know, because I feel like there must have been times when they're just sitting there for 20 minutes and nothing's happening, nothing's being filmed, right? Well,
0: the first season, well, the first one we had to do 12 hours, there was nobody in that audience at 10.30 at night when we were wrapping up the show. So they never cut to the audience, or if they did cut to the audience, they cut to an early. From movie. previously. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just basically the, the 10 of us out there screaming them on you know, during <laughs> during the thing. I also got to go by back, this was fun. I got to go back at the, and I don't think I've ever talked about this. I got to go back um, at the end of the season and they would bring me in for looping. So I got to do a lot of those uh, play-by-plays later on in the studio. Uh, and get to see it which was nice because I could catch things that I had missed before
1: so that was oh that is nice yeah, yeah just have your voiceover as we see the kids moving through the yeah, temple run exactly yeah. so I have some advanced analytics I'm sure you're you know a big baseball fan you could appreciate this so apparently the orange iguanas made it to the temple run the most 25 times while the purple parrots only made it 11 times so one has to wonder were you know any type of you know, maybe shirts going to the ringers, maybe the bigger kids getting certain shirts than other kids. How is it being distributed? How can we see this anomaly here?
0: I don't know. I've heard this before. I don't know. The, you know, the, the purple pairs were pretty boys and girls. They were the pretty girls. You know, they were the, the, uh, the. I don't know. They were the elite, I guess. I don't know. But they didn't go. The orange iguanas were, I guess, are a little bit more uh, <laughs> squirrely. And uh, how did the silver snakes do? What did it say there? I think they did okay. I think everyone else was kind of middle of the pack. Right, I always thought the Silver Snakes were kind of middle America for some reason. They were just really just kind of blue collary, get the work done kind of people, and you know,
1: they always seemed a little bit r- ha- ragtag. I guess it's like uh, what a Harry Potter houses, you know. Which uh, which uh, you know team do you identify the most with? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was the Silver Snakes. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of grew up in the Midwest. I was an hour out of LA, but you thought I was in the, you would think I was in the Midwest where I grew up. So I love the the prizes that the kids won on the show. That was something for me. A ton of product placement on the show, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think I even bought a pair of moon shoes because you mentioned it as one of the prizes. It was like some contraption that straps it into your feet. It's basically like two buckets. Very dangerous. I wouldn't recommend. I don't know if moon shoes are still around. Did you? But have those? does. Oh, I definitely did, had the moon shoes. Did they didn't work. It didn't work. Uh, they really didn't work that well. No. You could (laughs) twist an ankle in those things. I probably definitely twisted an ankle on them. Well, I just know we sold a lot of
0: British or gave away a lot of British knights. Those (laughs) shoes, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. British knights, and we a lot of skittles. (laughs) Did you get to you know get any of that? Maybe when you had kids, you had a ton of you know stuff for your kids, or no? No, never. No, didn't get it. I that was before I had kids. I didn't have kids until later. My brother
0: had kids. My brother had kids, and actually, was so smart, he had me come to his, the kids' birthday party, and they had a bounce house, and I went into the bounce house with all the little kids, and this is when the show was a, a big hit, and everybody freaked out, because they finally realized it was the host of Nick people <laughs> in the bounce house with him.
1: Oh my God, that's your audience, right? Like, you know, 12 to 14 year olds. Yeah, and all the parents <laughs> going, who is
0: he, who is, I don't know, I don't know you, what do you do, I don't know that show. Like, what <laughs> your kids do.
1: Yeah. Because you put in front of the TV and then you go off and do other things. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what were your personal favorite memories of the show? <sighs> personal favorite memories. Um, you know, <laughs> personal
0: favorite memories was really when somebody made it through the temple. I mean, really? I mean, it, it, I could get goosebumps on my arm and then sometimes I'd get teared up because you know, it was so difficult to get to to make it through there. And sometimes you never thought they were going to make it. And sometimes you knew, especially I'd start to figure, you know, you start to know how they where they came from, and how they didn't look like that they had any shot. That's what I loved about the show is that you thought the ones you thought, oh, these are the ones that are going to win would not be and then the other ones that you thought didn't have a chance would make it. So somebody somebody, some kids would come through there. they would break down and cry, they'd be so happy. And I, I really loved that moment so that was really a
1: truly emotional moment at the end of the show when they would win really great that's awesome what was your relationship like with uh, d bradley baker who of course voiced the iconic role of olmec he's a prolific voice actor i mean this guy
0: really is the star man he's come on to do so many great things but you know he was destined to do it and i'm and i say that i take it i always say that i i am going to take some credit for his success because when I came out to Orlando, he was just out there in Orlando doing like little gigs over there. He had a lot of friends, worked at Disney or any of those the many theme parks were there. they were all a group of people, all great people. I would go to a lot of parties and they were fun to be at these parties with. And I told him at one point, I, I said, um, you got to get out of Orlando and you've got to come to L.A. And he goes, really, really, you think so? And I go, oh my God. Yeah, you need to come here. So he did and he came and he actually called me and it was kind of that iconic story where the guy sleeps on your couch and that's how he yeah. gets started. He came and slept on my couch and that's how he got himself started and he never looked back.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah. So how did, how did you find out that the show was not going to be renewed for a fourth season? Uh, my agent called me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if your
0: show's not going to be re- renewed for a fourth season. And I'm like, why? I mean, yeah. Why would they do that? I mean, this is... The ratings were killing yeah, it. Yeah, isn't this a great show? And then you find out later, it's a Nickelodeon thing where they just don't want to keep things. Maybe they, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they only have a three-year contract with the producers. So they decide not to renew after three years and they figure they got enough in the can to run forever. So maybe that was it. Probably money. <laughs> Probably. Or they just, yeah. you know, decided they wanted to try another you know, new angle on things, but <clears throat> I don't think they took a complete advantage of their game show success and they didn't realize they should have kept it and, um, and they should have kept it up through all these years. Cause I think, oh, yeah. I, I think people still love game shows. If they're good, people love them. So they could have ran this. So, and I remember my producer, uh, David Stanley, he said, man, if this was on any other network, but Nickelodeon, we'd still be running.
1: Yeah, it's timeless. It really is. And yeah. same same with the success with Double Dare, which they also yep. ended and it was just like, what are they doing? Kids love this stuff. Everybody loves this stuff. Yeah. Yep. I don't get it.
0: So, you know, and I've been, you know, pushing forever to say, you know, why don't you bring it back? You know, we did the movie. Yeah. You know, we did the movie, which which was good. I thought the movie was pretty good, but it was really it was for little kids. And I said and it was funny because they brought me out and um I got to it was First of all, fantastic to do this. I mean, to be able to do a movie a movie of a game show was unheard of, right? I'm like, I thought they were yeah. joking. You we wanna do, we're gonna do a movie. Yeah, who is this? Who's on the phone? <laughs> so I was like, and I did like your typical, like, uh, uh, you know, maybe you'll send me a script and I can take a look at it, you know? <laughs> I'm like, cause I didn't know it was legit, you know? And I said, who's ever heard of that? And so I said, okay, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll do this. And the director sounded pretty cool. and. Um, and I said, so it was great that we ended up doing this this movie. But the great, the other fun part of the movie was we got to go to all the comic cons and you know New York Comic Con. We got to do San Diego Comic Con, and we got to do all these interviews, things. It was so much fun. But it was all for the older people, like yeah. all older audience. And so when the movie came out, it was for kids. Well, the kids didn't really have a reference for the show. All the ki- all the adults did. So. It's almost like we should have done it built around more older people Oh, definitely. you know, more older contestants or something like that, or um, something. And then I thought later on, I said they should reboot this show with families, so you have the old people, who, the, the families who had watched the show growing up with, bringing their kids on to be in the show. Yeah. I keep saying that, thinking that somebody's going to call and say, "You know what? That's a great idea. Why don't we do that?" Nobody. Ever.
1: I think with the reach of this podcast, I think we could probably get it done. Let's get some, you know, parent, you know, child teams. Let's really make it interactive between the parents and the child. I was ashamed to admit I had never heard of the 2016 movie, you know, that you started in Legends of the Hidden Temple, and I'm ashamed to admit it. But I was just like, like you mentioned, who was that movie for? It was for young kids. It wasn't for the millennials, maybe who have kids at this time they could show it to, but. I think they missed an opportunity there. Exactly.
0: I know. Exactly. I went and did a uh, went and I got to go do some stuff around the country. Like the, one of the last things I did was the San Jose sharks had me come up for, and I was their special guest for legends of the hidden temple. night. you know, and I got to have the, the, we had a, I had a big blue barracuda um, Jersey, (laughs) you know, which was great. And I got to go out and, I got to do a little bit of a game up in the stands and, you know, it was all kinds of stuff and people loved it because these are, you know, these are the, these are my peeps. And, and even going back to my fraternity days, it was funny. We had a, uh, we had a really cool reunion with all these fraternities from like, fraternity brothers from like, you know, 1960 to present. And when I got there, Oh my God, I had all these kids around me that were like, 24 to 32, and they're all swarming around me, all talking to me, and they were so fun and they were so nice. And everybody go What? And again, my fraternity brothers, who's this? Why are they Why are they
1: Because these are my peeps. <laughs> so I'm sure everyone knows, all my listeners, you know, that Quibi is reportedly bringing the show back. I don't know what's going on right now with coronavirus, how that has stalled it. I know they were looking for, stalled. I think they shut out like casting auditions for adults to take part of it, which I think is actually smart. Make it more of an adult themed game show. Then for the kids, have people like myself try to be on the show. Right. Have you been reached out to potentially about uh, reprising your role as the host? They haven't released the name of a host yet. No, they haven't. Well, you know, I, the, la- the only thing I can say is that I, I did get a little bit of contact with the producer
0: and. And they did have to shut it down, so they haven't, you know, they're stalled right now. Um, but I haven't heard nothing either way. I wish I would report that it's something, but it, I don't know why they wouldn't, because it seems to me, I I said I could promote the crap
1: out of this, so. Oh, yeah. You know. Honestly, we'll see if Quibi's even around in a few months. <laughs> it's kind of true, I know. <laughs> I, I just kind of wish they did the whole thing
0: as a real show, you know, like, just yes. do the whole show. Like, have... You know, have Netflix pick it up or something, you know, and have them just do a real series of show. You'd have all these people that were watching Netflix. They'd watch the Legends of the Hidden Temple. You could change it around, make it new. Quibi's got the, the or Disney came out with a, a ripoff version of Legends of the Hidden Temple. What? Really? Yep. 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 It's all Star Wars, all about that, but it's the same set, almost the same wording
1: that we, that. Oh is, my God. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they own Lucasfilm, they own, you know, Indiana Jones, which is really closely related to Legends of the Hidden Temple. Hello, we are Legends of the Hidden Temple. I mean, we are uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I know when I when I saw the Survivor came out, Survivor came out after my show and I was like, oh, that's the job to get is that Survivor (laughs) host job. Oh, my God. Off to the bank he goes.
1: Right. Oh, my God. Great. man. (laughs) Uh, Kirk, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know this is a podcast, so my listeners can't see you, but you look right—you know—if we just took you off the set in '92, right now, you haven't aged a day. Really, it's—it's oh. it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Uh, I wanted to end on five rapid-fire questions. Okay. If you're ready, all right, let's do it. Any TV shows you're currently binging during this quarantine? <gasps> oh
0: my God, I'm binging so many things right <laughs> now. What do I? <laughs> I binge from. Uh, let's see, catastrophe. Fleabag. Um, I I started watching Shameless. Yeah. Um, uh, Just a few months ago, I finally watched Game of Thrones. (laughs) Oh, my God. What do you think? What an amazing show. It was so great to get it all done in three months. It's so great. Everybody else was toiling over the years and I got to knock it out in three months.
1: What did you think of the ending? Um, Were you disappointed by the ending? Yes, of
0: course. Yes. How did... Yes, of course I was. Yeah. But... You know, there was some couple of great, great episodes in there that were amazing, so.
1: Oh, yeah. You uh, yeah. Did you keep anything from the set? I know we mentioned that you kind of, you know, d- didn't have a chance to go back and pick up anything. Were you able to keep anything? No, I did not. Oh, no, I got a, well, it was actually a parting gift. I got a
0: um, cup, a Legends of the Hidden Temple cup. And then, what, do I have anything else? I didn't think of... No, I do have some paintings that a guy from England painted of all my char- all the characters, the orange iguanas, purple oh, carrots, wow. all that. These little 12 by 12 things I think I'm gonna have them reprinted. They're, they look really, really cool. And uh, maybe I'll uh, sell those or something, you know? Yeah. Maybe really cool. So no, nothing that I, oh, I have an old shirt, you know, like that kind of stuff. I have my shirt from my movie. So, you know, as much as I can get, I like to collect things, but I couldn't collect too much.
1: You didn't get to keep your wardrobe and the cargo shorts, right? No, because who I thought I was going to get back in them. but
0: yeah whatever
1: uh, do you have a favorite restaurant in Los Angeles Oh what do I like to eat um, assuming all restaurants reopen after all this right <laughs> I know <laughs> I know what is my
0: favorite restaurant I like to drive by now <laughs> Let's see I don't know we're so you know I've got kids 17 and 15 so we're always we don't really go to big fancy restaurant. You know, we like steak dinners. We'll go to Ruth Chris. We love that. Um, but we'll go to Maria's Italian kitchen in Studio City. We love that. We like Burger Lounge a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, In-N-Out Burger. Yep, and yep. Uh, this is 15 and 17. You got to remember that. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I know I'm going to think of it when I get out, but there's a Mexican restaurant I like. What do I like? Um, we like, oh, we like, um, oh, We'd like a, a, um, um, Casa Vega. Have you ever been to Casa Vega on no. Ventura? It was the one they filmed for Once Upon a Time in, America, in uh, Hollywood. Oh, wow. Where the, where the two stars went into. Yeah. And, it, and we, went, we went to the movie, our whole family. And then afterwards, we went to Casa Vega down the street. It was so great.
1: I just went to El Coyote for the first time in Hollywood, another LA staple from the movie. From the movie, we actually thought, I said, Oh, let's go to El Coyote, and then we go, wait, that's kind of far away. Let's go to, to <laughs> If there's any game show that you could potentially host or be a contestant on, what would it be? I would love to be Wheel of
0: Fortune. I love Wheel of Fortune. I was binge-watching Wheel of Fortune recently, too. I just like Wheel of Fortune so much. That's my kind of game. That's the kind of game that I would have loved to have been on when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, or a kid when I was younger. I can still be on it. No, I can't, but... <laughs> But if they had guest star, you know. Yeah. But I think he does such a great job. He's still good at it. I look at him and I go, I have a friend who actually is, could be could do the host
1: of that show. He's just like Pat Sajak. I call him <laughs> Pat Sajak because he's, so, he's got all those quips. He's so good. So last question, you know, The Relunchables is a podcast that kind of focuses on 90s, 2000s, pop culture. Did you have a favorite movie or TV show from that time? <sighs> you know, that's tough because... You know, I was in New York,
0: so I wasn't watching a lot of TV at the time. Did you say movie? Yeah, movies as well. Ooh, geez, what was I watching? You know what? I, and I auditioned for it. One of my great movies from the '90s was um, uh, "Field of Dreams." Yeah, "Field of Dreams," and I was, and I got to audition for one of the parts. Really. Yeah, in New York. I was the the guy who played the young Burt Lancaster.
1: Oh yeah, sure.
0: And I, I got to go in there. I got to be the scene where I'm in the batting cage <laughs> and getting brushed by it back and by a, <laughs> brushed back by the pitch and all that. And I love that
1: movie. That's such a feel-good. Even though Kevin it's Kevin Cosner, obviously, but
0: what a great movie that is.
1: Yeah. You great. had to tie in the Cal State Fullerton connection one more time, I, right? <laughs> I did. <that's> right. <laughs> uh, Kirk, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Relunchables podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: I really, really had a great time doing it. Thank you.
1: I would like to thank my guest, Kirk Fogg, for coming on the podcast. What a cool guy. I have to say, this this was awesome having the chance to interview Kirk. And, you know, hopefully if we ever do see a Legends of the Hidden Temple TV show come back, he's the host. There really is no other host than Kirk Fogg. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review, five stars only. Next week, it's a toss-up. I could continue on doing these old 90s, 2000 shows or go back and break down a Disney Channel original movie. I don't know, haven't decided. I guess we'll just see what happens. Until next time.